Wow, is this deal for real? Attention, woman in the nosh aisle. Yes, those deals are real. What is this place? Grocery outlet, where you can get otherworldly deals on natural and organic products every day. I'm feeling such bliss. It's the deals. They do that to people. Grocery outlet, bargain market. Welcome to Bargain Bliss. God, I'm I'm amazing. Nice job. Thank you. With the uh, passing last week of the um on the 24th of February when we passed the trading deadline in the National Hockey League. And I don't know. We can certainly talk about that, but I didn't think anybody... Did anybody really improve themselves? I mean, probably Vegas with the acquisition of uh, Robin... What is it? Leonard? Robin Leonard, yeah. Leonard from Chicago to help their to help their goalie situation. That probably helped for sure. And the Oilers. Oh, and the Oilers. I was getting there. The Oilers helped themselves out for sure. Another great job by... Ken Holland. Um, but besides those two clubs, I don't know of anybody that really improved themselves. Maybe the Washington Capitals with Ilya Kovalchuk. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. It only cost him a third. Bergevin was looking for a two. He had to settle for a three. That may have helped them. Um, Kovalchuk and Ovechkin ha- said that they have wanted to play together since they were 13. Really? Wow. Okay. Well, then Washington definitely improved themselves. You could see Kovalchuk in, the, in his initial uh, media availability he was just smiling ear to ear yeah and i haven't seen him smile in 15 years like i mean he was just beaming he was so excited good so. for him i mean here's a guy uh, and again i i you know and i and i think our buddy ryan would agree with us because ryan was feeding us information in regard to the los angeles kings that he was the kovalchuk was working hard mm-hmm. doing what he could do he just you know some uh, relationships with teams just don't work. And I am very impressed with Kovalchuk to sign a contract, a two-way contract that either pays him 700,000 if he stays with the big club or goes down to 70 grand if he goes down to their AAA club. I know it's not their AAA club, I guess it's their AHL club, but whatever. Hershey, Pennsylvania, I think, but who the hell knows. Um I'm very impressed with Ilya Kovalchuk. Took his demotion went to Montreal, made something of it, and now I think he's got a hell of a shot at playing in a, in a Stanley Cup. I really do. I think Washington, um, and especially when you tell me that these two guys have wanted to play with each other on the hockey. Let's just keep it clean here, folks. These two guys have wanted to play hockey together since they were age 13. So I really believe that Washington could be the team to beat in the uh, – Eastern Conference of the upcoming National Hockey League playoffs. And that's what I'm getting to or gearing this, the start of this 470th episode of Unscripted as we welcome you to it. And uh, you've got some breaking news. We have some breaking news. Yeah. Uh, Steven Stamkos is out six to eight weeks after having core muscle surgery. That And that's going to go into the playoffs. That hurts. That that hurts, hurts for the lightning. That hurts for the lightning who have been playing like it was last year again. And that definitely hurts. I know. Oh, wow. Okay. Out six to eight weeks. So that's usually like, um, what is that? Sports hernia stuff is what? 
Or uh, that or some sort of abdominal muscle yeah, or something. Groin or... Uh, could be any of that. Could yeah. be any of that. But that's what I want to uh, start this 470th episode of Unscripted uh, with Mike and Chris. We are here. Thank you much for joining us on a very windy day here in Calgary. Um, if the NFL... NFL. If the NHL playoffs started today... And again, remember, we're in that stretch drive now. Uh, National Hockey League had their trading deadline last Monday, the 24th. And now we start the stretch run on uh, figuring out who the players are going to be, the uh, 16 teams that are going to get invitations to continue their season past the end of the regular season. But if the NHL playoffs started today, here would be the first-round matchups. And these are of as of the standings this morning here on the 29th of February. This is where the matchups will be. We'll start in the East. I'll rattle them off. Then I'll have comments from both of us. And then we'll take a look at the West. In the East, the top-seeded team, Atlantic 1, would be the Boston Bruins. And they'd be taking on the second wildcard team, which would be, at this time, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, then in the Atlantic two, you'd have Tampa Bay, the lightning. They would be the, the home team, if you will, against Atlantic three, which would be the Toronto Maple Leafs. Then in the metropolitan, the metropolitan division leader right now is the Washington Capitals. They would take on the wild card one right now, which would be the New York Islanders. And then in the fourth and final First round series in the East, you'd have the Metropolitan second seeded team, Philadelphia, against the Metropolitan Division third ranked team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And um, I'm going to ask Chris right here from these comments, or excuse me, these matchups Boston, Columbus, Tampa Bay, Toronto, Washington, New York Islanders, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. What intrigues you? What excites you? What puts you to sleep, if anything? What are some comments? at least right now from the eastern part of the of the tournament bracket, what are some of the things that intrigue you about those four potential first-round matchups in the upcoming National Hockey League playoffs? I absolutely love all four of those matchups. Those could not realistically be any better. I mean, if Montreal was in the playoff hunt, maybe you have a Toronto-Montreal first round or something like that. But other than that, that is just as good as it gets. Philly and Pittsburgh is in all of sports might be you know, is is up there for one of the most hated playoff rivalries those teams just and with hockey playoffs how intense they get mm. they've had some some real interesting stuff like Sid just turns into an asshole even if you remember yes, like the guy I goes do. to pick up his glove and Sid like goes and shoots his glove away and and they kept interviewing him you know like why would you do that like cuz i don't like him well, <laughs> and and they're like well why don't you like cuz i don't like him that's like it. he just doesn't even like, them. and I mean I know my wife hates the Flyers because it's like they go out of their way to sign assholes. They've just always done that. Ron Hextall as a player, and then Ron Hextall as the GM signing assholes, and it's just like, <laughs> you know, the yeah. It goes back yeah. to the Broad Street bully days. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby Clark. Clark. Yeah, yeah, it really does, and it's just, and I mean, and Phillies fans, you oh. know, are are known as that. It's just. Yeah, it's, they'd be it's, assholes in an arena by themselves. Yeah, and there you go. And, and so, yeah, they won biggest asshole fans in what 2017 in the NFL or whatever it was. But mm-hmm. anyway, so yeah, that's very interesting. I love the Barry Trotz Bowl. Like, I mean, the Islanders against the Washington Capitals. That would be fascinating. You have to think the Capitals have the better team, but 
that uh, the Islanders with Trots and Trots knowing the Capitals. What a what a bizarre situation that they would ever fire Barry Trots. That is just uh, ooh, I can't believe they did that. That was weird. And so, uh, yeah, like, like honestly, Barry Trotz should still be on the Nashville Predators and should still be their only coach in NHL history at this point. It's ridiculous that he's not. So I, I would actually, I have nothing against Washington, but I would like to see the Islanders win that uh, with Barry Trotz. Me too. Schooling his own old team. That would be really, really cool. Uh, Toronto-Tampa. Uh, I'd love to see Toronto play a, a really good team like Tampa and just get schooled. Get their ass kicked. Get their ass kicked. Absolutely. And what was the first one you said? Boston and Columbus. Boston, Columbus, I like because Boston is, you know, really, according to the stats, according to the power rankings, they're the the best team in the league. And Columbus, you know, you've got such a, you've got a really scrappy team. You've got a, a fiery team. You've got underrated fans. You have torts, which yep. always makes things more fun. And uh, I could see that being a really, really intense series. Oh, really. for sure. So I, I just absolutely love all four of those matchups. I hope those all happen. I really do. I do have to make mention um, this week. Yes, statistically, Boston right now has the most points. Statistically, they're the best team in the National Hockey League. So how in the hell did they lose 5-2 to two to the Calgary Flames at home? Didn't take them seriously. Well, obviously. But I do need to say this. I'm not a Flames fan, but I did see in that particular game earlier this week, I did see one of the prettiest goals I've ever seen by Michael Backlund. He took it end-to-end, bounced it off the sideboard by the benches, re, re, you know, bounced it off, then reclaimed it right about at the, at the midline, at the, at, the center, at the center line, and one-on-one. It was just an unbelievable... He took possession on the Calgary end, and then bounced it off right by the benches, reclaimed it as he goes down toward the Boston goal and puts in a beautiful shot on Rask. And um, again, not a Flames fan, but I have to, I get to watch a lot of Flames hockey in my house. And um, But I'll tell you, that was one of the prettiest goals that I have ever seen. And if you get a chance to see it, I think that you would agree with me. It is one of the prettiest goals that potentially I've seen in my whole life. It was just unbelievable, and he did it all by himself. He was unassisted. He took puck possession in the deep in the Calgary end and took it to the other end, and it was just unbelievable, that goal. Um, let's go on to the Western Conference. Uh, real For me, real quick, I'm looking forward in the East. I want to see Washington and the Islanders. I want to see Trotz win, and I'm really looking forward to the Battle of Pennsylvania for all the reasons that Chris just said. Um, it's just, I think that's, that's, that could be a war. That could be a flipping war between those two in the West. There are some, some, uh, unique matchups. The one that I'm really looking forward to would be Pacific one, the Vegas golden Knights against wildcard one, the Calgary flames. And, um, I would want that one to be over in four games. Um, it and probably I, would be honestly. I, I, yeah. Um, especially with no state, no save James, um, that this this Riddick guy, the the goaltender for Calgary, I I I truly believe in my heart of hearts that if Pizza Boy down on Olympic Way could do it over again, he would have kept Mike Smith. Maybe he may not. Know. He may not have liked Mike Smith. He might. Mike Smith may not have ended on a good note here in Calgary. But I'll tell you one thing: Mike Smith always kept him competitive. And remember this: for all the bitching about Mike Smith last year, the team won fifty-one games. And ended up with 107 points. 
So Riddick is a backup at best. Talbot should be in the kindergarten hockey league or unemployed. He should not be on somebody's national hockey league roster. And they think that they're going to make a playoff run with these two yahoos as their goaltenders. Again, not a big fan of the flames and even less of a fan of, of, uh, Brad pizza boy tree living. But I think if he had to do it again, and I'm, I'm not even putting into the context, the trade of basically Mike Neal for Milan, um, Lucic, all I'm saying is the goalie situation. And for a team that won 51 games last year, and if you thought the goaltending was bad with Mike Smith and no stay, no save Dave Riddick, it's worse this year for a team that will not sniff 51 wins this year. That's all I'm going to say. In the West, after Vegas and Calgary, the other three remaining series, also intriguing. Uh, Pacific 2, that would be Vancouver versus Pacific 3, Edmonton. You've got Central Division number one, St. Louis versus wildcard number two, Nashville. And then you've got in the fourth and final matchup, Central Division two, Colorado, taking on Central Division number three, the Dallas Stars. Your comments, sir, about those four. And uh, I think we're on the same page in regard to the first one, Vegas and Calgary. Oh, yeah, that's a Vegas sweep all the way. Vegas has now won eight in a row and uh, playing tougher teams in Calgary for a lot of it. If you didn't understand that Calgary was not built for the playoffs last year, then I don't know what it's going to take. They lost four games to one to Colorado, and the one game they won was only because of Mike Smith, who's now gone in in Edmonton. They would have been swept otherwise easily. Johnny Gaudreau had one assist and no goals, and they're just not a playoff team as far as I'm concerned, and I know I'm completely biased against my least favorite team, but I just I don't see it, and I think that the results from last year certainly back that up. And you're right, uh, Dave Riddick is a backup, and the fact that he was an alternate on the All Star team doesn't help things. So now, I mean, it's great because you know Pizza Boy is going to overrate him, which is awesome. But yeah, it's just a it's just a bad decision. They're not built for that. Vegas knows the playoffs very well. What a great franchise that's been. Uh, on the Except ice. Except for well, getting of rid of Gerard Gallant. Of course. Still but, not happy with that. But now that they've won eight in a row. I'm starting to like it better. Yeah, Kelly McCrimmon gets to, you know, look good now. I don't know if it's going to last or if Pete DeBoer is actually a better coach than Kelly, than uh, Gerard Gallant. I have a hard time believing that. But anyway, I think it's just, they've just, they're such a great team. They know the playoffs well. And really, they could have had two cups in their first two years. And uh, I'm not worried about them. They're going to obliterate Calgary if they meet in the playoffs. But once again, I love, not just like, like I love all four of these matchups. Colorado and Dallas, that is just a brilliant matchup of uh, almost underrated teams, maybe by the mainstream. Like people that really follow hockey, I think, understand how good Colorado and Dallas are. That could be a really, really great series with some really, really great matchups. And same with Nashville and St. Louis. I mean, those are those are really competitive solid franchises and I think just both of those could have some really good hockey I don't watch a lot of hockey not involving the Oilers especially when it comes to a full game like I never sit down and just watch an entire non-Oilers game start to finish I just never do that and uh, but with those two I mean you could see some really good hockey there and then with the Oilers and the Canucks it's always nice when two Canadian teams meet I mean on one hand you know one's going to be eliminated but at least you're guaranteed that one will get through to the next round uh, the fact that Markstrom is out for a few weeks, and it's a knee injury too, so I mean, who knows if he's going to come back on time for the playoffs. If he does, is he going to be 100%? I don't know. But uh, Elliot Friedman made the, made the case 
uh, a few days ago that Markstrom has not just been the MVP of the Canucks or playing on an all-star level or anything like that, but he thinks he should be in consideration for the Hart Trophy for for MVP of the entire league. So you lose a guy like that, especially as a goalie, that's going to make a big difference. So if Edmonton would get to face Vancouver with Markstrom either out or not 100%, that would be a gigantic edge for the Oilers. And I think it would be a, a really, really good thing. I really like, unless Markstrom just completely bails them out, uh, I really do like Edmonton to win that series. It's been a long time since Edmonton made the playoffs and didn't do well. Mm-hmm. I mean, their last two appearances, they went on a great run. They got ripped off completely by horrific officiating, or else they would have been in the Western Final and perhaps better. And the time they made it before that uh, was 06 when they went to the Stanley Cup Final as the eighth seed. So it's been a long, long time since the Oilers made the playoffs and then were knocked out in the first round and didn't go on some kind of run. So uh, it would set up nicely for them. I'd love to see them face Vancouver. I think that would be good. And uh, yeah, all eight matchups. I would love if the season ends today, those were the eight matchups. It's hard to get better than that. That would be great. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this just slipped into my brain. Think about it this way. The last couple times, or the la- you know that 2006 run, the goaltender was an ex-flame, Dwayne Rollison, mm-hmm. correct? And if they make, which we both are hoping, a long playoff run this year, they could be led by another ex-flame goaltender in Mike Smith. Wouldn't that be ironic? Mm-hmm. Um, I have to ask this question because this guy has been in the news since he made his emergency eight-save performance for the Carolina Hurricanes beating the Toronto Maple Leafs last Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada. Jim Houston and that other moron are sitting there calling the game and a 42-year-old guy by, and a Zamboni driver by the name of David Ayers is that yeah, how I say yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. David Ayers. Yeah. David Ayers. He uh, has had a hell of a week. Yeah. He was down in Carolina. They made him an honorary member of the state of something in North Carolina. Good for him. Uh, made an appearance on the on the late show with uh, Stephen Colbert on oh, CBS. I think he was on the Today Show as well. Was he? Yeah. I, I just saw him the other day on the uh, on the late show with with uh, Colbert. And now the stick that he used in that emergency get off the Zamboni and get out onto the ice. What a, you know, what a thrill for a 42 year old guy to live your life dream, to make a contribution in a national hockey league game and then win the damn thing and make eight saves. I mean, you know, he wasn't out there for a whole lot of time, but he did well, he held up. And now the stick that he used is being put into the hockey hall of fame in downtown Detroit or downtown Toronto. Excuse me. Um, I am happy for this guy. Um, I just want your feelings on it. I don't want, you know, I've heard a lot of garbage this week from a lot of naysayers that are idiots that don't know about what happened here. This is an emergency goaltender. The first two goaltenders got hurt, whatever have you, but this guy gets into the game. I don't want this rule changed. This what makes the national hockey league unique. Obviously you don't see it happen very often, but when you do, what a great story and what a dream come true for a guy that probably has been playing hockey his whole flipping life and he never was quite good enough to get to this level. But for this one period, in this one game, in what they believe in the GTA is the mecca of all professional hockey, um, I know it's not Maple Leaf Garden anymore. It's the Scotiabank, whatever the hell it is. But to me, it's still 
downtown Toronto. It's near the Hockey Hall of Fame. This guy gets off his Zamboni, gets into the game, and helps the Carolina Hurricanes beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in Toronto. I was so happy for that. I hope this guy is enjoying his 15 minutes of fame because I'm happy for him, and I think he deserves it. Yeah, he seems like a really cool guy. I loved watching his uh, media availability after the media fact availability there. for a Zamboni guy. Yeah, That's funny. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the the Toronto Maple Leafs man were their own sort of pundits or whatever you call them, columnists, uh, you know, personalities in the media. There, boy, did they have a field day with that. You lost to a forty-two-year-old Zamboni driver from your own organization. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> From the Marlies, like Love holy it. crap! He was wearing the Marlies mask, like it looks like a Leafs mask. And he's, like it was unreal, and he did let in, I think, his first two shots, but yeah. then after that, he just shut them out. Now, in fairness, the Carolina Hurricanes worked their bags off out oh, there, absolutely, and they doubled the Leafs in shots. It was like forty nine twenty five or whatever, and they worked their asses off to support the guy. But Correct. Then, but then at the end, were classy enough to give him all the credit and give him his moment and let him be like the first star or whatever, and. And then, you know, greet him with champagne in the locker room. And, and just now he's getting this whole world tour, basically. And he just seems like a really cool guy and, and a neat guy. And he's, you know, he's a goaltender on the side there. And he drives his Zamboni and he's 42. And just just seems like a really, really neat guy who deserves this. Uh, we I remember last time this happened, a couple years ago, Scott Foster for the Chicago Blackhawks came oh, yeah, in yeah, yeah, and had yeah. a similar thing. I don't think he got as much media afterwards, but he got to come out and got the win. Same thing. It's like you get the win and get the first star and come out, and it's you know, a lot you're, of fun. You're absolutely right about the way the Carolina Hurricanes handled this because, yeah. you know, obviously here's a guy – Shows up at the rink. He's not expecting to get out on the ice for crying out loud of a National Hockey League game. And I thought it was really cool that Rod Brindamore and his team just tried to calm him down and say, we got you. We got your back after he let the first couple in. But again, that you know, I'm not making fun when I say this of the Make-A-Wish Foundation because I know how valuable that is to sick young children and, and whatever. And, and it's, it's, it's a pivotal part of sports today to grant these wishes. But in some kind of weird way, shape, and form, this is kind of a make-a-wish foundation kind of thing for this guy. You know, shows up at the rink every day, drives a Zamboni, um, 42 years old, his best athletic days are over, and uh, makes eight saves and gets a National Hockey League win. I'm happy. Yeah, for he gets to have played in the NHL when he thought there was no chance at happening. He gets a win. He gets to be undefeated in his right. career in the NHL. Right. He yeah. sticks in the Hall of Fame. Like a few days ago, all this was incomprehensible, and now it all all has happened. And it's it's a really great story, and it's what sports are all about. And uh, you know, I'm I'm really glad that it's been such a positive media story. He just seems like a guy you'd want to hang out with, and uh, I'm I'm just I'm really happy for him. And look, nobody's feeling sorry for the Leafs and uh, but I mean man what else can you say like like how like this this year was already getting kind of embarrassing and now this is this is rock bottom I mean you can't like you couldn't every time they were touching the puck the fans were yelling shoot (laughs) now now I do want to give in fairness I do want to give the Maple Leaf fans some credit because when he was doing well, they were actually cheering for him. Yeah. And when he got the first star, they gave him a standing ovation. So 
you know what? I have to give the Leafs fans in attendance there at least uh, a lot of credit. That was a very classy move on their part when your team is not only losing but getting embarrassed. Uh, and and you're giving the other guy, the ultimate underdog, his due. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Let me ask you. I wasn't going to talk about this, but you brought it up, so I'm going to talk about it. I don't think that Sheldon Keefe makes it beyond this year as the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. No. There's something wrong there. There's too much talent. I don't think he was ready for... No. And, and under the microscope, like to handle the pressure in Toronto... And, and I mean, it's compounded by the fact they haven't won a cup in over 50 years and they have the most revenue. And that was the one, sorry, at the end of the our last episode, I was trying to think of one more owner. And it's not really an owner per se, but the other one I was going to mention that I did said slipped my mind because it's not a, really an owner, but it's Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. When you have the number one revenue, you're essentially the Dallas Cowboys of, of the, the NHL. Yeah. yeah, and you haven't won a cup in over 50 years. You haven't won a cup basically since there were only five other teams. A lot harder when there's more than five teams you're playing against. Yeah. And it just hasn't been good enough. I, I just always remember that 93 when they uh, lost to LA yes. in the final. And we could have had a, uh, we could have had a Toronto, Toronto Montreal, Montreal Stanley Cup final. Yeah. And they lost in seven because Gretzky just turned it on. But I just thought it was funny because I remember that uh, commercial they had. It's like, get the, you know, whatever it was, four 16-disc set or whatever of the run to the Eastern Final. It's like, holy crap, imagine if they won the Cup. Yeah. Like, they make it to the Eastern Final, and it's like commemorative plates and shit. Like, well, you know, we, we I think now thinking about it, um, our last episode, we did a uh, episode on crappiest owners in professional sports, but going back to the day when Howard Ballard Owned the Toronto oh, Harold, Ma- Ballard. Harold Ballard, excuse me, Harold Ballard owned the Toronto Maple Leafs. I remember him being vilified. I remember him being truly just hated, mm-hmm. not only by the fans in Toronto, but maybe some of the players too. He seemed to be just an idiot. And uh, again, for all the reasons that Chris just mentioned, you've got the most disposable income in all the National Hockey League to use on a lot of different and varying ways, and it's incomprehensible to me the same as we made mention about the new york rangers only winning two stanley cups since 1940 they won in 1940 and then they won the famous one 54 years later in 1994 with mike keenan and took and it took them seven games against an undermanned vancouver team i don't care what anybody says that team that new york had in 1994 and should have kicked the crap out of vancouver it shouldn't have gone seven games but it did um but think about this, same, same vernacular, really. How, how is it that Toronto Maple Leafs, where the, rotate, the world rotates around the GTA, if you ask a Torontonian, ask them what they think, and the world rotates around, the, you know, whatever happens in the world happens to go through Toronto, just ask them. But how is it, since it's been 1967 for the Toronto Maple Leafs, that's you know, I get pissed off when the Packers haven't won in 29 years. I'm now pissed off because the Packers haven't won in 10. Go uh, 53 years now. It's ridiculous. Um, let's switch gears. As again, we say hi and hello and hope everything is well in your corner of the world here in episode number 470 of Unscripted. We've got some National Football League notes and news to talk about, but it's not in regard to what's happening on the field. This is what's happening um, 
in the broadcast booth when the news came out on Friday. First of all, I guess I'd like to say this by starting. Um, I guess when these respective two gentlemen found out about this, meaning Messrs. Chris Collinsworth and Troy Aikman, I bet they got on the horn with their agents and said, what the fuck is this? And what the fuck is this is Tony Romo, who is generally now considered the number one color analyst in the National Football League. Tony was threatening to take his talents and go somewhere else, but CBS realized that he's too valuable to let go. So Tony Romo is now making $17 million per year to broadcast NFL games on CBS. He's getting a firm three-year deal from CBS, but it could become a 10-year deal if the NFL extends its rights deal with CBS. So that could potentially make it a $170 million deal over 10 years to sit there on Sunday afternoons with Jim Nance and analyze NFL games. So that's why I'm coming with the, I bet Collinsworth and Aikman got on the phone with their agents and that's like, um, we need to talk. Tony Romo is the best. I enjoy listening to him. There's no question about it. There's a Wisconsin connectivity, so that makes it even better for me. But $17 million a year to broadcast once a week, and it led to Michael Thomas, the all-pro wide receiver of the New Orleans Saints, tweeting out this morning, and I quote, that is why we shouldn't sign the new CBA agreement. No way the announcer should be making more than 90% of the players end quote. I'm happy that Romo is going to still be doing football. He still was going to be doing football regardless. It just probably was at another network. But $17 million to work once a week for, you know, maybe what, 17, 16, 17 if the players, uh, you know, go ahead and sign the CBA deal, 17, and then you got three or four playoff games, let's say 21 weeks a year. $17 $17 million. He's almost at a million dollars a weekend to sit there for three hours and talk football, which he knows like the back of his hand. Um, I am surprised. I am shocked. And I think there are going to be ramifications from Mr. Normo's now $17 million a year deal to be the color analyst for CBS Sports on NFL games. This is actually a really interesting situation here. And I wanted to say one thing first about Michael Thomas there. And while I appreciate what he's saying about, oh, okay, well, if there's that much money to go around, even though it's CBS paying, uh, you know, and oh, then maybe there's more money out there. And there is. And that's fine. But uh, I really don't like the attitude overall. As a negotiation tactic, fine. But I don't like the attitude in general because, you know, I think players already want the general public to be happy for them when they make big contracts. And the only reason that NFL players make so much money is because that's just how much money is in the industry. I know they think it's because they're so special and they're just entitled to it, but it's because that's how much money is there. Well, guess what? CBS has enough money to pay Tony Romo uh, this money. And Michael Thomas should be happy for Tony Romo. He shouldn't. This is... You know, again, other than a pure negotiation tactic, uh, this is just the uh, wrong attitude to have. And I don't think this is a negotiation tactic for him. I think this is just his real sentiments. And it's the wrong attitude to have. He should be happy that 
a former player who yep. did pay his dues in the NFL is getting such a wonderful opportunity. And Tony Romo was only getting this because he earned it. Look, even if you think that Troy Aikman or Chris Collinsworth do a really good job, this goes beyond doing a good job. Tony Romo, in my estimation, literally will make people watch. It's like when Mike Tirico and John Gruden were on Monday Night Football. Great analogy. Right? People will tune in because it's so good. We're so used to so much bad broadcasting that, you know, I have to uh, turn off the sound. Sometimes, like if Joe Buck's on, I'll often just turn off the sound and mute it. Uh, when I, uh, I've got a service where I can watch NHL games with the Oilers. And so I actually get either feed. I can watch the oh, Oilers yeah. feed or whatever team they're playing, whether it's away or home. And so I've been really enjoying watching the away feed. I mean, it's kind of annoying because they don't get excited when the Oilers score and they're excited when their team scores and they're all total homers. But uh, it's, it's neat to see some better broadcasting and some, and some, you know, just, just a, new, a new way to do things from the same announcers all the time who I don't think are very good and frankly are getting worse with the Oilers broadcasters. So it, it's been really nice to see. But Tony Romo literally makes people want to watch and is is noticeably, you know, the best. Uh, so, yeah, Collinsworth and Aikman, uh, I know they've been uh, there for a long time, and I certainly don't mind them asking for more money because the market seems to be going up. But neither one of those guys, from anything I've ever heard from anyone, makes people want to watch. Right. Like, nobody's really watching for Collinsworth other than maybe the slide he does at the beginning where he slides in. Like, the internet loves that. But other than that, there no one's watching for him. I don't think anybody's watching for Troy Aikman. I really don't. And it just, it's a different thing. Yep. And I mean, if you can be a John Gruden or a Tony Romo who literally single-handedly makes people want to sit down and tune in regardless of the team's playing, that is something worth paying for. And CBS... I have to believe they could have had better negotiators that didn't need to pay quite this much, I would guess. Maybe not, but uh, they they absolutely overall were right in retaining Tony Romo. You couldn't let him go away because he's too important and because the optics would be horrible and the people who watch your games would follow Tony Romo to wherever he went. In uh, Romo's career with the Cowboys, he only exceeded $17 million per season twice when he was the, co when the quarterback of the Cowboys. I don't remember the years. He was he made 17.5 million one year and then his big high water mark one year as the quarterback of the Cowboys he made 25.2 million bucks. Mm. But now, I think I think in 2015 he did make 17 million. Well that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I I don't know remember the year. One year he made 17.5 and there were only two seasons that he exceeded the 17 million per season that he's now getting paid to talk about it on CBS. 17.5 million one year, 25.2 another year. Those were the only two years he exceeded what he's now making as the color analyst, number one color analyst for CBS Sports. And remember, I, there were a lot of people that were pissed off, especially Phil Sims fans. I'm not hearing anybody pissed off anymore. Everybody, everybody, like you say, and you're absolutely right, people now, unlike Aikman and Collinsworth, and of course, Anthony McFarlane, um, people will actually tune in. And I'm one of them. I will tune in to a game that Romo's watching. And it might be the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Tijuana City, whatever. But if Tony Romo's involved, I'm watching to see, you know, because he's unbelievably good 
at this is what they should do. And before the ball is snapped, he's saying what they're going to do and damned if they don't do it. Um, before we get out of here on this uh, 470th episode of Unscripted, I do want to make note, and I promised, and I'm going to stay true to my word, we're not talking about the uh, signs-stealing crap going on in Major League Baseball, but I do have a couple of Major League Baseball notes. Major League Baseball removed marijuana. Woohoo! Removed marijuana from its banned substance list during the offseason, but may still punish players for using or possessing the drug. My question here is this. How can they do that, especially in the states that have legalized marijuana? Baseball has enough problems. Just, you know, take it off your banned substance list. If you've got a team like the Colorado Rockies, where it's famously in the state of Colorado legal to smoke weed, well, if they can legally smoke it in the state of Colorado, you're going to have some high ball players. It's just, and I'm not, we're not even talking about being at 5,280 feet above sea level. They're just going to be high in Denver because it's legal. Commissioner Manfred. Now, I, I, before I get to my favorite whipping boy in Major League Baseball, just so you know, a little background information, recreational marijuana is legal in cities inhabited by 12 Major League Baseball teams, while medicinal marijuana is legal in 26 of the 30 Major League Baseball cities, with the exceptions of Georgia, Texas, and Wisconsin. So the four teams that that uh, that are in those states. that are that are in those states. Thank you. Georgia, of course, the Atlanta Braves, Texas, the Rangers and the Astros, and Wisconsin, of course, my homestanding Milwaukee Brewers. So Commissioner Manfred has a warning for players if they're not real happy with the. Major League Baseball's uh, stat, or uh, I should say their stance on marijuana. Commissioner Manfred says, and I quote, just don't show up to the ballpark high, end quote. You know, sometimes the best message sent is no message at all. Every time Manfred opens his mouth these days, stupidity just just comes rolling out in abundance and i think that commissioner idiot should just shut his mouth do what he's got to do in regard to this new marijuana policy in major league baseball i think he's barking up the wrong tree again because more and more states are finding their way to legalizing this stuff you can't do anything about it so if you can't change it play along with it because obviously Professional athletes are just like everyday human beings that if they are if they are legally able to smoke marijuana, they're going to do it. Whether it's for pain, pleasure, whatever, they're going to do it, and you can't stop them. If in that respective state's capital, if they go ahead and say you can smoke marijuana, then professional athletes, they put their pants on just like we do, one leg at a time, and they're going to do it. So... I just think it's ludicrous when Manfred comes out and, and has a warning for players that says, just don't show up to the ballpark high. I just think it's I fun. think I'm sorry, but <laughs> no, I think a, a good number of players show up to the ballpark high right now. Oh, probably. And I just think it's hilarious that Rob Manfred thinks that anyone, after he didn't punish the Astros for everything they did, that he's going to say like, oh, you know, I'll punish you. Like, no, you won't. <laughs> you just showed that you won't. Like, what are you going to do? Like, you, <laughs> like they stole the World Series and cheated in a bunch of different ways and stole signs and, and wore buzzers and had the trash can, you name it, and you didn't do anything. So 
why would I think I'm going to smoke a joint and you're going to punish me? Really? Are you serious? I'm supposed to believe that? Wow. Let, let me ask you something. I know we're running, but I got to ask this. And I know I wasn't going to talk about the sign-stealing crap, but I have to ask the question. If you're a Red Sox fan and it's taken how long to get the verdict on on their investigation of what's going on with the Red Sox in regard to their role in this sign-stealing stuff. If you're a Red Sox fan, are you concerned that they're finding more stuff, or is this just, you know, no pun intended, but is this a smokescreen, or what the hell's going on? I mean, this shouldn't take this long. Announce what you found, and let's move on. Well, they either found nothing, or else... They found something, and Manfred won't punish them. If you've yeah. just seen what the Astros have done, and you were supposed to be the lesser, uh, yeah. you know, you know, uh, guilty party here, then why would you be worried about anything? Because this guy uh, is just lazy and dithering and completely inactive. And I did want to recognize the Chicago Cubs announcer who said uh, this past week, "I was going to suggest to the Astros with all the booing that they could wear earplugs, but if you do that, you can't hear the trash can." And- <laughs> So was that Jim Deshays? I don't know who it was, but it well, was, the reason it was a I ask if it's guy. Jim Deshays, Jim Deshays, major league career, he's now an analyst on WGN and Sports Something Chicago uh, for the Cubs. But Jim Deshays spent a majority of his major league baseball career, coincidentally enough, as a pitcher for the Houston Astros. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, here I can probably tell you who it is. Uh, yes, it was Jim Deshays. There you go. God, I'm I'm amazing. Nice job. Thank you. We've got a run on this 470th edition of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. As always, we thank you for contributing to the show and listening to us ramble on about whatever we need to ramble on about from the wonderful and wacky world of sports, and we certainly appreciate it. And again, I hope that you continue to do so. Having said that, uh, we've got a run. Freeform Friday is next. For the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.